What's good, people? And welcome to another episode of The Jigsaw. Welcome to all of my people, my countrymen, my city dwellers, everybody in between, saints and ain'ts, and all of my friends. Welcome to The Jigsaw. You know what it is. It is a podcast where we come together and journey and try to navigate through life's craziest puzzle piece, and that is The Jigsaw of Life. How y'all doing out there? I know that it is another week of a pandemic, another week of social unrest, another week of just sheer craziness. But I also believe that 2020 is a year that can be used for our good. I refuse to curse it. I refuse to say it's a year from hell and all of the other things that I've heard about it. Why? Because we serve a God that can turn the most crazy and un- like stuff that we just cannot comprehend, just he can turn it into something that is absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing. I mean, 2020 is the year that brought us this podcast. So I refuse to completely talk bad about it, um, but I do recognize the reality of all the challenges, I'll say it that way, that 2020 has brought. And I bring that up and I acknowledge that to ask this, how are you? Are you implementing self-care? Are you doing the things that are necessary? All of the things that are necessary to make sure that you are good. One of those things is something that we talked about, right? And that is answering questions with the full answer of no, right? Right. (laughs) So if you have not gotten it down pat, no worries. It is something that we sometimes have to learn because all of us are not as well versed in saying no. But again, that is what this podcast is about. It's about growing and developing and figuring things out. And as a matter of fact, let me say it so that I can officially start the podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about the perils, the praises, the productivity, and the pumping circumstance of being a black millennial in America. So, we're going to talk with, we have an amazing episode lined up. It's a lot of stuff that happened. Um, as far as self-care, going a little bit further back, for me personally, I was able to take some time, do a road trip. Don't don't trip. We were super safe. I went from one quarantine home to another. I did a road trip to Memphis, Tennessee, and I was able to visit my parents and my sisters and my nieces and nephews and my in-laws and um a granny and all that different kind of stuff. And I ate real good. My grandma sent me here with an entire homemade caramel cake and I am just digging through it. My mama cooked for me every night. I know that I've gained weight. I know that I have missed my dietary marks, but that is okay. It was all worth it to be loved on and to see family and to just be rejuvenated in such a way, right? In such a way that was a blessing for me. This year has been one of great interest, of also uncertainty. Um, It's literally been the year, like what the podcast talks about. I'm really trying to navigate my way through it and trying to figure out what is next, right? I've heard a lot of promises. I've like had some things that have been very promising or that look like they were going to pan out and then ended up not happening. So, I mean, it's just, it's just been a lot. And I believe that for whatever reason, it is something that is necessary for me to go through and to acknowledge. And being home kind of helped recenter me, 
right when my anxiety was about to go straight through the roof, (laughs) being home and being around family and being in a different place of a change of scenery, right? And just being surrounded. Not that I don't love my wife and my children don't give me love and support, but just having that extra embrace of family, you know, that homegrown kind of roots and reestablishing myself and my familiarity with those roots was something that was super necessary and refreshing and rejuvenating. And I was able to catch up with at least two of my closest friends, my line brother and my one of my best friends uh, while I was there. And I couldn't see everybody, didn't even attempt to see everybody, was not even apologetic about seeing everybody because I had no intent to see everyone. You know, if we are still in a pandemic and I did not want to surround myself. But for the few people who I I was able to see, super excited to see them, to catch up, to see their faces. Um, and that was just something great. We made it back. We are safe. We are still Rona free. Um, and we are back. And now we're planning to figure out what in the world a school year is going to look like without two children. But that's Those are my issues. And I'm sure I got parents on here who are low key stressing about what they're going to be doing with their kids as well. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Before we jump into this week's episode, I do want to take the pause of the calls and handle a little business and ask you all to please engage and follow me on social media. You can follow me personally if you want. But more importantly, you can follow the podcast at the Jigsaw Podcast on Instagram. You can write us, you can write in Bless Up Report, Black, you know, on the Bless Up Report, we do black business shout outs and all that different kind of stuff and great things that people are doing. So shout out your bro, shout out your sis, submit it to me. I will read them. I will give them the recognition that they're due. Um, You can submit your rant uh, for doing a greater conversation, all of that different kind of stuff. Or you can just submit a question or a concern or something that you want advice or a different perspective on all of that. Do all of that by emailing us at the jigsaw podcast at gmail.com and I will respond accordingly. Um, and then if you're listening to this on Apple, please rate and, sus- and rate subscribe. Hopefully you all are already subscribers, but rate subscribe and leave a really dope comment. If you're going to rate, do it at five stars, please. And thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I just want to be able to put that out there because your positive reviews, even on Spotify and Google or whatever you are listening helps us continue to grow, continue to develop and continue to build this thing that I believe is one of the greatest podcasts on Cicely Tice's internet, right? So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support. Now that that business is out of the way, um, I did want to give you some insight into my one of my group chats conversations. We were talking about our favorite R&B artist and both male and female. And, you know, and I had my opinions, all of my friends had their opinions. And, you know, so I took it to the Instagram streets and people started saying some interesting things. Like somebody said, Keith Sweat, I have no idea why that would be an answer, but you know, I respect your choice. Someone said R. Kelly and I was just like, no, I wasn't going to post it, but I needed to show um, the people that somebody still supports this man and we just have to stop. Okay. I know you put out some bops. I know that you probably got your first streak on to 12 play, but it is not enough for you to keep supporting R. Kelly and all his antics. All right. But there were some other really great responses like Avon and Maxwell and um, Kiki White. Now, let's pause for the cost of Kiki White. Kiki White can sing. She's great. However, outside of her duets with Avon, what has she really done for R&B? Think about it. For real, for real. Okay. Not much. Oh, another interesting one was Kim. Like, Really? Like K-E-M, Kim, you know, 
I just don't know anybody in the world who paused and said, you know what? I want to hear some Kim. No soul ever in America or in this whole earth, I think, has ever said that. <laughs> so, but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up and to ask a question to you all. Who is your favorite R&B artist, male or female? You can write me by answering that question, too. Go to social media and tag me in a post or, you know, email me responding and say, hey, my favorite male artist is this and my favorite female artist is this person. Right. So anyway, that's just some insight into what we were talking about, because I thought it was super, super interesting to hear different people's perspective. And for me, knowing how someone thinks about music um, kind of gives me insight to who they are, how they think, how they process and their kind of perspectives on the world and their little bubbles, right? Music to me is really defining. And, I, and speaking of music, I hope y'all enjoyed last week's episode about the power of music. Hey, Mr. DJ, shout out to Candy West, who's an amazing guest. Um, that was a really dope episode. Gotten a lot of great feedback on it. And so, yeah, but anyway, without any further ado, let's dive right into today's episode. We got a lot to cover. This is going to be a real good one. We're going to talk about black health and wellness with one of my good brothers, my friend. Um, but yeah, let's go into the Blessed Report. Let's do it. This week on the Blessed Report, I want to shout out another coffee business. I think in episodes past, maybe a few weeks ago, we shouted out Portrait Coffee in Atlanta. But this week, because I just came from Memphis, I want to shout out a Memphis local Black-owned shop. It is called Muggin Coffee. It is owned by Ken and Mary Olds, and they founded Muggin Coffee based on the name, kind of like Muggin. It's kind of like this Memphis vernacular that speaks to this disposition of being um, forceful and kind of aggressive and bold, but also pairing it with wordplay about the actual mug. And they're doing some really great things of impacting the community, creating a space where not so much right now that people can hang out, but also creating an alternative space, hopefully in the future, where people can hang out and enjoy and have a safe place of community and enjoy some good coffee, some good frozen drinks. Um, I saw that they had like frozen lemonade and fruit smoothies and things like that. And they also have some pastries and scones that they sell as well. So if you're in the Memphis area, partic particularly travel to Whitehaven, it's the area I grew up in. Shout out to Hillcrest High School, class 2007. I ain't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but no, if you're in the Memphis area, particularly in Whitehaven, or travel on down to Whitehaven and go to Mug and Coffee House and get some of their products. It seems like it's really great. I forgot to actually make that one of my stops while I was there. So I have tasked my father to go and get me a, um, a bag of their coffee beans, and I'm going to brew it and drink it here because I really want to invest my dollars into Black community. Communities. And for me, it's doubly important to support uh, a black community from my hometown, from the actual neighborhood and the community that I grew up in. I grew up in the Whitehaven area. So shout out to y'all. You can um, go check them out on MugginCoffeeHouse.com and you can purchase coffee for yourself there and you can buy the merch that they have as well. So shout out to y'all. Bless up. Let's go into the billboard. What is happening in the world today? Um, Meg the Stallion, we talked about it last week. And as of last week, the story was not as clear, but it's, a, it's, it's getting more clear now. It's getting clearer. Tory Lanez did actually shoot her. We do not know all of the ins and outs of this story yet. Meg has not given a robust statement about what has happened 
Um, there hasn't been much police um, reporting outside of what was initially reported um, concerning Tory Lanez, the best friend. Kelsey has not said much, but allegedly they were they were hopping from house to house going to pool parties or something like that. There was an altercation, and I think Meg was trying to leave the car, and in response, Tory shot her. And police were called, and that's when Tory was ended up being in police custody. Meg ended up getting out of the car. They asked her to walk. She was seemingly limping because she was hurt, things like that. I do know Meg has been the butt of a few jokes, and she kind of took that out on Drea. Drea kind of said something real stupid, talking about, I want somebody who loved me so much that they would shoot me. Like, girl, that's stupid. Anyway, I do think this is a classic example. We've been seeing the hashtag, we got to protect our black women. And I think that should be more than a hashtag and more of a, like, just reality. There's no reason, brothers, that you should be so angry with any woman at any point or any person that just because you have a disagreement or they're doing something that you don't want them to do, that you result in shooting them, specifically in a relationship. Now, I don't know that um, Meg and Tori were if they were dating or messing around, any of that, but really because shout out to Tabitha Brown, because that ain't my business. But if they were nothing that she could have done or said warranted her getting shot for it. Right. And this is just classic to me, like this whole Napoleon syndrome, you know, Tori is a little bitty fellow, just, I mean, a few inches over five foot. And I don't know if he was trying to exert his dominance because Meg is such a, 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 force i ain't gonna say a force but like she's a she's a tall woman and she's a very present woman right she's not a little girl um or anything like that and i don't know if because of the height difference and the size difference he was like you know this is the way that i can show that i'm the man but that is foolish that is dumb that is stupid uh her their size differences has nothing to do with how you responded or the way you should have responded to her as a human being, but also as a woman, as a black woman. So I really pray that this gets resolved. I pray that Meg is okay and that she's recovering well and that this situation is something that should not happen. It should be an example, brothers. Like, come on. This is not the way that we handle and we treat our women. If we are angry with them, if we are upset with them, if we don't like a response, we communicate. We can be angry, but it does not cause us to put our hands on them, to disrespect them in any way, or definitely not to shoot them. All right. So let's just hope things get resolved. And, you know, bruh, it's not okay. It's not okay, Tori. All right. So, end of that. Nicki Minaj is pregnant. She is pregnant by her husband, Mr. Petty. I forget his first name. And I don't really want to remember it because he's not that much of a, um, you know, anything noteworthy for me to talk for me to talk about. But yeah, um, he got her pregnant. They are pregnant. They are expecting a child. She posted the photos on Instagram and, you know, she seems to be very, very, very happy and super excited about motherhood. So overall, feel what you want to feel about Nikki. She is bringing life into the world. So we're excited about that and just praying for her for a healthy pregnancy and that she has a healthy baby and that she does well as a mother. One thing that I'm hoping is that we see the, the motherhood that will be a result of this child will also result in her focusing on the music and less on the people, right? She ain't got to clap back. She ain't got to do all this other kind of stuff. I hope that we just get more of the artistry of Nicki Minaj and not the antics, if that makes sense. All right. So staying on music for a while, DMX and Snoop Dogg actually had a versus battle tonight. Um, If you're listening to the podcast, it would have been last night. And I tuned in for a little bit of it. 
I appreciate DMX and Snoop Dogg's music, right? But I can't tell you that I'm just like a super fan of either one of them. Uh, I do think that it was an interesting versus. I kind of know why they did it because of the whole dog concept. Snoop Dogg and DMX goes around here barking like he is a dog. <laughs> but kind of in, in, in terms and regarding of their music, two different styles. And, you know... Snoop got hits, like, and DMX got hits, but I think Snoop has some classics. Like, one of the parts that I came in on was Snoop playing the um, Gangsta Party with uh, with Tupac. And, you know, them going back and forth, back and forth on verses is just a classic exchange of bars. And then DMX came in with this song. Now, maybe I just didn't know the song. Maybe true DMX fans and New York rap fans knew the song, but I didn't know what the song was. But whatever it was, it was not like it didn't hold a candle to what Snoop Dogg had just done. So and I do know, like in more recent years, some of Snoop Dogg's hits have been or some of his songs have been eh, at best. But like if you go in that past and you go down that catalog, he got some stuff. And I just I I didn't watch it all, but I would assume that Snoop Dogg came out as the winner. One thing I do appreciate about this battle is that oh shout out to Swiss Beast and Timberland though they just got picked up by Apple so you can like you could have watched it and streamed it on Apple Music as well so that was super dope and I think one thing about that is that the quality of the verses has definitely increased as time has went on and the other thing my initial point of my appreciation about it was that like these two gentlemen were again authentically appreciating each other's music they were both head nodding and you know, dancing and all that different kind of stuff. So I love the fact that they were able to respect each other. And that's something that's sometimes not always on display, specifically in hip hop, specifically among other men in those type of settings. You know, when we think about sometimes outside of the homies in hip hop, it's always like a beef or a battle. I don't really mess with him. I'm the greatest rapper alive. And all that stuff is cool, I guess. But it's also dope to see brothers supporting each other and genuinely vibing and excited about each other's music. So that was dope, if nothing else. All right. So second shut-in list, the prayer list. I think we put Terry Crews on it. I'm officially adding Kanye West. Now, Terry Crews is on the second shut-in list because he's just full of stupidity. And we just pray that God slaps him with an intelligence and wisdom stick to get him from talking the type of ignorance that, you know, speaking the type of ignorance that he speaks. That's a whole nother thing. I'm not getting back into Terry Crews. He's not getting that much energy from me. But Kanye West, if you've been paying attention at all to him, he has been on a, he's had a manic episode. And it is true that every time he gets ready to release an album, at least for the last maybe two or three albums, he has chosen to go through this litany of tweets and responses um, and just, you know, ridiculous stuff that he would say random thoughts that really don't make sense and just they're just all over the place and he's doing that again so on one hand i know that some people are rolling their eyes at kanye because it is another antic it's something that he's known to do it is something that you know we kind of expect but on the other side of it this coupled with his alleged presidential run the campaign rally that he hosted where he said that Harriet Tubman never actually freed slaves, which is a total, like, just completely erroneous. Um, on top of him talking about his daughter and the possible abortion of said daughter and just calling out Kim and Chris. And I, I, we, we also know that Kanye West, and you, and you probably can hear my tone changing, right? 
We also know Kanye West deals with bipolar disorder. So, and I don't want to trivialize his mental health or his mental illness. Um, but, and I don't want to know that, I don't want to say that I'm an expert in, you know, bipolar disorder either. What I will say is that this consistent back and forth, this kind of inconsistency in what he's singing, like he called out like um, Lil Baby about not want, wanting to work with him. And Lil Baby tweeted back with like, he didn't even know Kanye wanted to do an album with him. So, you know, part of me definitely believes that he is just having a manic episode and it is just an attempt to get us to talk and to, you know, be looking forward to the album because I think he put out a track list and something like that too. But at the same time, I also think that this is a cry for help. It is really sad to see such a musical genius, like to be honest. And I know that he's been in the sunken place for a while, especially when he said the whole slavery thing was a choice. And, you know, it probably didn't make it any better that he married a Kardashian. Like, I know that we give Kim a lot of flack. But at the same time, some of the stuff that he's doing is not on her. But I do believe that it does not help that he married her because I don't think and I don't know. Let me let, let me just say this caveat. But based on what we know of the Kardashians and who they are, what they represent, I don't think that their relationship was one that has been helpful to his mental health. I will say it like that. All right. So I said all that to say as much as I wanted to drag Kanye and as much as I am disappointed, especially in his political endeavors. Now, I still stand by everything that I said last week and you not needing to vote for him in ABC and one, two, three. But more than that, um, and I also believe that part of this is an antique, right? But beyond all of that, I do believe Kanye needs serious, serious help, serious help. And I am sincerely praying for him. I think that's all that I can do. I don't, I'm not going to host any forums. I'm not about to have any panel discussions around it. Anything, I'm not participating in any. So if anybody's listening to this and want me on their panel to talk about that, I'm already declining your offer. Um, the only thing that I want to do and can do is to pray and to really hope for the best because I'm not in a position to do anything for Kanye. But what I can do is lean on what I know and to hope and pray that he gets the help that he needs. And then one day, maybe he will be in a place. We may never agree with him on some things politically, um, socially, culturally, but maybe one day we can get to a place where we can just appreciate him for his artistry again. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for that. Um, and on another kind of somber note, but also a celebration we want to honor the lives of Congressman John Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian. We lost both, both of these giants this past Friday on the 17th of July. Both of them were um, recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama, our forever president. And um, they were just great staples in black social justice and in the civil rights movement, particularly John Lewis in the voting rights movement and we lost both of them in the same day and it is super unfortunate to have that void here in the earth they are now among the ancestors and we thank them for all of their work all of their sacrifices and everything that they did to help push our communities 
to be better and to push them further. Um, what makes this a little more interesting is that this now opens up Congressman Lewis's congressional seat. And I think the Democratic Party here of Georgia has already selected a candidate. Um, I forget her name, but she was a state senator here and an alleged protege of Congressman Lewis. So we hope that she's able to, I know it's a huge shoes to fill, but we hope that she's able to continue the fight of justice. And we are definitely praying for the families, families of Congressman Lewis and Reverend Vivian for, you know, how they have to navigate this through again, a pandemic. And in some ways in regards, they're not able to honor those men in the way that I believe that they deserve. They're probably going to have really great and grand funerals, um, but you know, it's going to be limited on what they can do, how they can celebrate because of everything that's going on. So Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, great men for all of your sacrifices and all of your contributions. And we are definitely praying for you, your families, <laughs> praying for the families of Congressman Lewis and Reverend Vivian. Um, lives very well lived. Well done, brothers. Well done. All right. So we're about to get into the meats of our episode. So grab your snack, grab your favorite drink, and let's head to the living room and let's have this conversation. What's good, y'all? And welcome to another segment of the living room. Today, I have a special guest. He is a medical savant. I'm going to say it that way. Um, my Morehouse <laughs> brother. <laughs> but I'm allowing him to introduce yourself, man. Introduce yourself to the people and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My name is Devon Cross. Um, I am a registered nurse at the time, currently in school, I'm studying a dual MPH, MSN with Emory to become a global health, global health nurse practitioner. That's what's up, man. So um, let's dive right into the conversation. I think you're absolutely perfect for what we're talking about today. Um, but let's just get some basic information now. What made you jump into the medical field specifically? So honestly, it started at Johns Hopkins in the summer of 2016. Um, I was conducting research under the Bloomberg School of Public Health and type 2 diabetes. And I was in the East Baltimore community is where I was assigned to do a pilot study by my PI at the time. And we finished the summer pretty good. I developed a great relationship with the individuals in the community, um, which were black folks. And one of the final questions that I had for them was, what do you know about your disease? Mm -hmm. And you know, what do you know about your medication regimen, your food regimen, what have you? And they had no idea what to ask, which I mean, I suppose is common for a vast majority of individuals when it comes to healthcare, just not knowing what questions to ask regarding your health. However, yeah. when I asked them, you know, have you ever addressed any potential concerns with the PI? They said they had never seen them. Now, mind you, the study had been going on for two years and the PI was only a mile down the street, but he had never fought to come and meet with the individuals that he was collecting all this data on. So for me, I felt convicted because I didn't have the clinical expertise at the time to address those clinical concerns head on. So for me, I uh, took a break from public health and decided to do a pivot step into nursing so that I can get the clinical background needed to go back into public health and better tend to the needs of the individuals that I have the, the privilege to do research on, do research with, um, and to be able to address those clinical needs head on as, they, as their needs see fit. 
That, that, that's what's up, man. So would you say that this is more of just a vocation or would you consider this a calling for you? I would probably say it's a calling uh, primarily because I've been doing what people would deem to be nursing for quite some time. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with MS and fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia back in 2000. And I was, I think, six at the time. And from then on, I had always been her primary caretaker with the assistance of my grandparents and family as needed. But um, up to now, it, it just always came as second nature to me. And, yeah. you know, when I thought about nursing, I was like, well, you know, what, how hard could it be? And, you know, it, it was hard. I won't, I won't <laughs> lie. But, <laughs> but at the same time, um, it, bec- it, it comes so natural to me, even on the floor that I work on, which is a neurological unit. Mm-hmm. Um, everything just is second nature. That's what's up, man. So let let me ask you this. Let's um, well, first let's pause for the calls and let's just say how you aged me by saying you were six in the year two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a full middle schooler, <laughs> full middle schooler at the time. But I'm I'm not even going to do that. I'm not going to go through my crisis on the podcast. Um, so like, why the um, go the route of the RN rather than the MD? Uh, for me. I never really had a passion to become a physician. Like my passion was always in public health. So for me, nursing was a quick pivot as opposed to having to do four years and then probably another four years of residency just to get back into public health to do Mm -hmm. um, eventually what it is I want to do. That was a long route uh, that I just, I didn't want to do my PI at the time at Hopkins. He, he told me, he said, I'm going to make you, choose medicine by the end of my internship and I was like yeah you can try it but you know <laughs> obviously it never happened um but I think there's a special place where those who choose to do medicine it just wasn't my path um and, and nursing satisfies my ability to be with the patients in a more um intimate way than I would be afforded to do with medicine so you talked a little bit about um, the experience you had with the black community and the mm-hmm. diabetes study, if I'm correct. Yes. And then, you know, becoming an early on kind of caretaker with, with your family. What have you done specifically with your like personal expertise and your education to kind of push the, the health agenda of the black community? So for me, it starts with, so separately, I'm a barber. And okay. one of the creative ways Some that I, <laughs> one of the creative ways that I knew to um, integrate the conversation of health and healthcare into the black community was through barbering. Um, now, a lot of people as of late are doing a whole bunch of research into it or whatnot, how to get into the black community, but it's different with a black person who actually understands those benefits doing it uh, straightforward. So mm-hmm. for me, um, one way to do it is just to have barbershop talk. And to casually say, you know, like, have you been to the physician lately? Have you been to the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the physician's assistant, whatever the case may be? Have you gone uh, lately to prioritize your health? Have you prioritized your health in the last, say, we'll say three months? Um, And, you know, if there's a negative feedback, then you just have a conversation and explore without conviction, explore those barriers uh, that may exist. What's holding people back from learning about their health because ultimately i mean it's, it's, it's your lifestyle it's your belief systems all these other things that come together and your health is a manifestation of all of that and to be able to address all of those uh, needs across the board i think that allows a more intimate relationship to develop and that has helped me as a healthcare provider to be able to infiltrate those barriers and to really see the person for who they are and to meet them where they are um, without, you know, judging them, without any of those things that they feel is usually present 
when they have to engage the healthcare environment. It's interesting you said that you um, approached it from a barber's perspective, because we all know the kind of conversation that goes on. <laughs> we talk about a little bit of everything. Some good, some bad. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot more bad sometimes, depending on the shop. <laughs> but um, I guess like there's, there's a stigma among mm-hmm. black men and going to the, you know, going to the doctor. We don't like to go. We like to pass it off as, you know, I'm just tired. I'm just this. What, mm-hmm. like, how have you used that platform, you know, as a barber and as a health professional to kind of infiltrate or push beyond the additional barriers that black mm-hmm. men face in health? So typically, uh, it's funny. My mom always told me that I'd be able to use this one day, but my own health, my own health experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently have a tumor on my brain. Uh, I had a tumor, a random tumor in my back. Uh, it's since been removed. Um, broke my back, had all kinds of surgeries, health issues, what have you, long list. And being able to say, well, you know, I feel what you're saying, but this is my experience. And these are the things that I'm currently going through. And to be able to put myself in healthcare and uh, I mean, honestly, in healthcare, in a healthcare system that I don't usually trust all that much, but to do that and to challenge my own beliefs and my own um, ideas and customs that I was uh, accustomed to, you know, to do that and say, you know what, I represent healthcare. I'm the image of healthcare that you should be able to trust. And if you can't trust me, let's explore why you don't. And let's work, you know, with the partnership. I want you to understand that I'm an advocate for you, but you also have to be an advocate for you. Mm-hmm. And typically, you know, for a lot of black men, <laughs> you, it sounds, it's kind of bad, but if you bring up their loved ones or, you know, their children or their mothers or their wives, girlfriends, what have you, then the whole conversation starts to change. And, you know, sometimes if you even have those individuals in the room, it's a completely different patient that you're dealing with. And, you know, just being able to explore their, their why, you know, that's really all it comes down to. What is your why? What is it that drives you to do everything that you do on a daily basis? And can you use that same, rationale for exploring your your health and if so then we can work with something but i think most of it has to do with healthcare professionals have to get to a place where we really ensure that that the patient is understanding that they are in a partnership with us there's no hierarchy there it shouldn't be a hierarchy there i'm just there to help you side by side and i need you to help yourself so that i can help you so what are like what are some of the most common fears that you've heard like that they've explained? This is why I don't. A lot, uh, honestly, for a lot of black people, the common fear is race, racism. Yeah. They just don't. They just you know that historical factor comes into play with all these studies that we that we know off the back of our hands. Those rationales, even if we didn't live them ourselves, just that idea is still kind of embedded in a lot of us. So, you know, a lot of times it's race. How can you get past that? How can you, you know, also educate people? I think a lot of it is education as well. How can you get to a place where you educate people in the language that they can understand? Because once you go into um, a hospital or a patient's room and you say, you know what, you have neuromyelitis optica or something like that, their brains exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So if if you say that you have, you know, like neuromyelitis optica or something like something strange off the bat, right? You you lost them at 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 the very first words. Mm -hmm. So everything that you say after that is like, man, I'm not really trying to hear this. I'm not trying to listen to any of this stuff. But if you go a separate route and you say, you know what, this is what you have. It's called X Y Z, but in its essence, 
it is an inflammatory disease. These are some things that we want to do. These are the medications we're going to put you on, but the medications, you know, we have to, we also have to get to a place where we explain why we're putting people on medications, yeah. why we run a certain tests. My grandma, she has type two diabetes. And I was just having a random conversation with her one day. And I said, grandma, you know what your A1C is? She said, I don't even know what, what is that? Because my doctor's been testing me that for like five years, but I don't know what they're testing. And then I had to let her know, like, you know, your A1C, they test that every three months because that's generally the lifespan of your red blood cells. And your red blood cells is what they test to see, you know, how much sugar you have in your blood. We'll say it that way. And she said, oh, my God, that's the reason why they test that? I was like, yeah, and your A1C levels typically let people know whether or not you're a new term, I guess, is pre-diabetic, but whether you're not diabetic at all, pre-diabetic or diabetic. And all those levels give you that understanding. And I mean, it changed her perspective. And she had a greater appreciation for actually getting the test done as opposed to just being left in the shadows and scared to ask a question. And see, that's so real. And it hits home because my grandmother had been going to this random, I won't say random, this same <laughs> old white doctor for years. Mm-hmm. I think he, my grandmother just turned 94. So he has to be like, Ooh, that's beautiful. 87 he's like he's up there he's been practicing a long 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 time and he had just started she's had um heart issues Mm -hmm. he was just prescribing medicine and at one point last year she got really sick so she my dad took her to this second doctor get a second opinion and all the medicine that he was giving her like it was all acting against each other Mm -hmm. and was slowly deteriorating her heart and she just she that's my doctor i trust him i've been going to him for 50 some years she you know she lives in a small town Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm just, we like, grandma, you can't keep going to this guy. And she, and it's interesting that you brought about race because she's also from the school of thought that I don't always trust doctors, but something about maybe this white doctor is a little bit more trustworthy too. Mm -hmm. And she like, it had, she had to be hospitalized for her to be like, you need, you need something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to the greater point of like, you're giving her this medicine. He clearly didn't know what he was really doing anymore. Um, She had no idea what to ask, um, was just blindly trusting him. And I know for me specifically, when I look, I look for a doctor and I found one, the first question he asked me was, uh, well, how did you find me? I said, well, I Google black doctors in Cobb County. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You had a pretty decent rating. My insurance covered you. I said, uh, because for me, I want, not just to, I want to support black businesses and give my black mm-hmm. dollar to black people, but I also want someone who can, who understands my body, exactly. what I'm going through and who can really, like, if I say that this is hurting or this is itching or whatever, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying? it's not just, Oh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like he could understand um, more about this. So, so let's talk through some myths that mm-hmm. you probably heard in the black community and black health and how, like, for example, my grandmother and the, and the white doctor, right? Um, but like, what, what are some other myths that we can debunk in um, Black Health? Um, geez, some myths that we can debunk. Well, one, I would say white isn't always right. I think we have to get away from that notion altogether. And that school yeah. of thought is old, it's played out, and we know better uh, at this point. Um, another thought is, you know, thinking that you have to be near death to actually be sick. That's not the case either. You know, a lot of diseases manifest themselves in a more silent manner. Um, A lot of diseases, as we're seeing with COVID-19, are asymptomatic, can show themselves as being asymptomatic. Um, I think it's important, one, you need to know your health. There is beauty in just simply getting your annual physical. Go do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people don't want to go to to the doctor until something goes wrong. It's not like that. It's the same same idea that I have with... um, you know, black people going to therapy. 
your life ain't got to be in flames for you to go seek help. You know, sometimes you need to just find an avenue to express the good things. Like you feel that your body has been perfect the past year, year or two. Great. Now let's go and validate that sense of perfection. Let's make sure that everything is working properly. So I think we need to, you know, get rid of this myth that you have to be sick to go to the doctor, that you, um, oftentimes we say that we don't have the resources. Honestly, there are so many different providers, I mean, out there that, some people will really work with you. Some people will jump through hoops just to make sure that you're seen. You can go to a clinic. A lot of us, uh, I know a lot of black people don't generally have the resources. They don't have the means, what have you. But there are a lot of urgent, with urgent clinics, urgent care clinics popping up everywhere now. I mean, we spend our money on a lot of other things that we really don't need. We can afford to spend 25 to $30 just to go to an urgent care clinic to get some of our needs addressed. They write prescriptions, they do all this stuff just as well um, you can get a physical everything so i think you know we just have to get away from thinking that one medicine or healthcare is just altogether too expensive because that's not always the case you know you're not going in for brain surgery every time you go to the hospital um, sometimes it's just you know what i have this upper respiratory infection i just need some medication prescribed i just want to make sure that it's nothing more like covid <laughs> or anything else <laughs> right um so i think those are a, a couple things or a few things rather that we we probably should revamp um, altogether. You know, I was in the patient's room last week and he looked at me, he was like, man, who are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm the nurse taking care of you tonight. And he was like, oh, I didn't think we were smart enough to, to be in healthcare. So imagine, okay. not surprised, but there, <laughs> yeah. there again is yeah. another myth that black is somehow correlated to uneducated. And we have to get away from that thought process as well. And it comes from us sometimes. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, that is the the most um, almost traumatizing thing about it all. Is that, oh, yes. That school of thought comes from our skin folk. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like speaking of those myths, though, like how do you feel? Um, one, how do you feel about home remedies and, you know, oral traditions of care? And then like, how does that sometimes come into play when you're treating someone? So there are certain medications that counteract um, herbal remedies and such. You know, like garlic, for example, isn't the best thing to take with um, blood thinners because they kind of counteract each other. But my honest perspective is, given that I'm interested in global health, I understand the practices and customs that have helped communities for centuries. And I would never want to take away from that just because I have a westernized perspective of medicine. I also acknowledge the fact that Western medicine is not always the best I think that's another myth, speaking of myths, that we need to get away from. Western medicine is not always, you know, the the top tier way to go about medicine. Obviously, we have our own flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we need to get to a place where we can address that. There are like certain teas that can really remedy a lot of diseases, a lot of illnesses, what have you, even if it's like the common cold or something like that. I mean, you look at COVID when it first came out, everybody was saying take vitamin C. You know, you can pop that over the counter. You can get that from yeah. the little small Vita packs at any store, or whatever mm-hmm. else, and you can feel great. Prime your immune system. So there is beauty and magic, if you will, in herbal remedies um, that a lot of cultures really just depend on from a holistic health standpoint. Um, sometimes what those things can't do, maybe medication from a provider may help. But I think, you know, the the important thing that I would say is just to always 
have your provider or you do it yourself, cross-check the medications with whatever herbal supplements that you also take because they may not always benefit each other. Yeah, because you're not getting rid of black folks' um, ginger ale. Oh, no, and, but I, I live by ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> ginger ale and a nap, you know? <laughs> you take you some ginger ale. Like, my grandmother was inf- um, infamous for ginger ale, a Tylenol, and go to sleep. <laughs> and, and some way, somehow, as a little seven-year-old, I woke up 100% better. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> 100% better. Uh, and it's also interesting, too, like, we... um. I don't know if it's if it's the formal name, but in the South, there's like these grass bugs, like chiggers, mm-hmm. and I got them all the time as a child. <laughs> My wife came to we went we were at a wedding in Memphis, mm-hmm. and um, rehearsal dinner was like outside, and she got them on her foot, and she thought it was a mosquito bite, and she kept you know, and I was just like, girl, if you don't get you some calamine lotion and you know dip your foot in some oatmeal or something, you're gonna be fine. Uh uh-uh. uh. So she went to the doctor and got all these, and it worked. The creams worked. So again, mm-hmm. not debunking or going against medicine, but it's just so interesting how uh, our perspective for treating it and how it worked with me in one season decades ago, um, and for her, um, it it seemingly didn't do anything. Like she needed the. Um, the actual, you know, prescription-based ointment. So, like, mm-hmm. even in that, like, have you seen, like, that difference where somebody is, like, adamant about what they want to use as far as herbal treatments or home remedies or just some over-the-counter concoctions and the other <laughs> yeah. person's like, I need this prescription. And one oh, way, yeah. like, is it just the body responding differently or is it that some of the things aren't working the same? That is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll start by saying, yes, I've seen both. Um, I would say my role as a healthcare provider uh, and as a healthcare professional is simply saying, okay, let's lay it all on the table. Tell me every single thing that you take. Cause honestly, them being that transparent to tell you everything they take anyways is, is pretty rare. But if they're doing it, we'll say that's the situation <laughs> and say, okay, we have all this. Well, these are the medications that we recommend you take as well. So let's look at these. Let's make sure that there are no um, drug to drug or drug to herbal interactions. And let's make sure that we have you set in the spot where we don't compromise your belief systems um, at all, hopefully, or at the very least, not entirely too much. And let's make sure that we get you in a position to have the most optimal sense of health that you can have given your situation. And if you get that, if you get, you know, the patient to be receptive to that, I think you're in the ballpark to do some amazing things. Um, But you also have some patients who are like, yeah, I need medication. I ain't doing no herbal stuff, no none of that. I just need medication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine too. But, you know, sometimes, for example, for the common cold, you'd be surprised. We're, we're not always finna, we're not always going to give you just all of these prescriptions for the common cold. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we may just send you home and say, you know what, just take it, take it easy. If you get a headache, a fever or something like that here, take some Tylenol. Uh, aside from that, just rest, drink plenty of fluids, Gatorade, Pedialyte, water, whatever the case is, and you should get better. If you notice anything get worse, contact us and then we'll, we'll take it from there. We'll do it on a case by case or symptom by symptom basis. Um, so there are so many different ways to split that, but you, you see, Oh, a wide range of preferences from the patient populations. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine. And like you said something earlier about, you know, being asymptomatic and, you know, checking up on your health specifically in relation to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we do know is that, you know, Big Rona is what I call her, has <laughs> disproportionately affected um, black and brown communities. Yes. One of the things that I've discussed with some friends was that, you know, 
one of the lenses that I've looked through, I've looked at racism at is through the lens of public health. It is a public mm-hmm. health issue. You talked Crisis. about some, yeah, you <laughs> talked about some of the barriers, you know, in, in brevity, but like what are some of the real like hurdles for black folk getting access to real health care? So a lot of it, a lot of it is one, they, a lot of black people just honestly cannot afford healthcare. Uh, they don't have enough money to afford insurance, which means anytime that they go seek um, healthcare, they have to pay out of pocket. And a lot of people, as we saw with COVID, are living month to month, check to check. Yeah. They don't have a lot of money to allocate towards, you know, some unsuspecting $1,000 bill because they went to the hospital to check something out just to try to prioritize their health. They shouldn't be penalized for that. $1,200 ain't do nothing. Exactly. (laughs) And you shouldn't be penalized um, for trying to make your health a priority. Mm -hmm. But typically what happens in the black and brown communities is that that's what, that's exactly what it comes down to. A lot of people um, try to prioritize their health. They try to do the right thing. And then they get this bill that puts them, I mean, in debt up to their knees and you know, now you have just a whole whirlwind of issues that you're dealing with in addition to your health. So now this, you know, $5,000 bill that I can't afford is now going to, you know, cause me to stress out. And then my health is going to decline even more. And it may lead to some unhealthy habits such as drinking or whatever else. And now I have, you just open up the floodgates to that many more things happening. Um, Also, what you have to, what you have to, you know, realize too, is that a lot of people don't give healthcare long leash. And what I mean by that is that all it takes is one visit, one interaction, one moment. It's kind of like a, a bad relationship. You know, you already know that the relationship there is bad. You go into the conversation, you hear something you don't like, you know what, forget this, I'm done with you. <laughs> and that's kind of the way that a lot of black and brown people approach medicine because there's already this distrust that exists there. Yeah. And if you get to a point where your provider is white, you already have some sort of Uh, reservations going into the conversation but then when your provider is trying to write you off as a list of symptoms as opposed to being a whole person then you just kind of feel belittled at that point you don't feel safe to one talk about your issues and two then they give you a whole bunch of medications a whole bunch of recommendations for a condition that you didn't even give that you weren't even able to give them the whole picture on so now that becomes a problem because it's like, yeah, well, I went there because I was feeling anxious. They gave me all of these um, anti-anxiety medications, but now I'm in a place where I'm still anxious because they didn't deal with the situation at hand. They didn't help me you know, talk through this or really allow me to go deeply into what I think it is. They just said, oh, you having a symptom? Great. Here's a medication for that symptom. And now why am I having other symptoms? Now I can't sleep. So how are you going to, now you got to give me some medicine to help, help me right. sleep. And now that, continuum just keeps happening and once you do that you put a person in a place where they say you know what this is not helping anything i'm on more medications that i ever want to be on all the symptoms are still there and my root problem has never left how can how can i trust anybody why would i even waste my time trying to trust somebody when they're not going to listen to me for who i am and they're not going to understand my experience as a black person brown person or what have you so specifically, staying on that with the black community, what have what have been some of the, I guess, most like alarming effects that COVID has had on our community? I think the alarming effects that COVID has had on the black community, not being able to afford, not being able to afford adequate um, health insurance, 
or health insurance at all puts us in a place where if we have symptoms, we don't, we don't really get them checked. Um, if we sneeze a little bit, if we have a little difficulty breathing, we may just write that off as nothing. And by the time it gets to the point where we feel like our life is being threatened by this virus, then we go to the hospital and we're in the worst situation that we want to be in because now we're in a hospital where, you know, we may be put on a ventilator. We may have to do all these blood tests, all this other stuff. And now I feel like every single moment I'm gasping for air. My body's just riddled with pain and all I can think about, which I've seen in a lot of my patients, all I can think about now is my hospital bill and how much it's going to be. I just want to get out of, I want to get out of here before I collect any more, add any more to that bill. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough place to put somebody in because not only, not only do you not have the means to afford um, a bill for COVID-19 and all the stuff that they're going to run anyways, assuming that you're symptomatic, if you're asymptomatic, they may just check you, you still get a bill for something and they just send you back home. But I think for the black community, the hardest thing is just one understanding what COVID really means, because we, like I said, we give healthcare a short lease. If y'all don't get it right quick, I ain't got time to hear about this is what's going on. I take it back. No, this is going on. Nah, I take it back. Let this, but what I will tell y'all is that all y'all need to stay at home. We don't know what's going on though. We can't tell you why you're staying at home, but just stay at home after three or four months. I mean, everybody's going to get to a point where they're just like, you know what? forget this. I, I never trusted them in the first place. I should have never trusted them now. And then you put yourself in a bad situation because the jobs and the economy, you look at all the jobs that people of color work, for example, in Georgia, those were the first jobs that camp opened up. He said, you can go to a nail salon, you can go to the theater, you can go to a barbershop. You can do all and that. You can do all that. <laughs> don't, don't open up uh, Apple. Don't open up all these other places, all these uh, major companies, Fortune 500 companies. Don't, don't open up none of them up. Let's just open up the simple stuff. And it's like, we don't need our nails done. We don't need our, our haircuts. Like, we want them, but we don't absolutely need them. And the unfortunate part is you have a lot of people of color that are black people. Let's just say black people for right now. You have a lot of black people that are dependent on a check, specifically that the unemployment check. Well, what happens is once you get to a place where the governor says, hey, all these businesses can open, if that is the case, you no longer qualify for unemployment because the governor has said that you can work. Right. So now you're off of that. You have to go into a place where you're putting yourself, one, you probably don't have adequate PPE because even the healthcare workers don't have it. And you're putting yourself in a place where you're vulnerable to getting all these infections that um, have already been plaguing your community, all these viruses that have already been plaguing your community. And now you have a whole pandemic that's going on and you have no choice but to work because they still, they still asking for rent. They still asking for all these bills to be paid, but yet you don't have the means. So at what point, you know, as even I think as like a black man and a black woman, especially with kids, you come home and you look at those kids and say, well, I got to provide for my family. Right. And now you put them in a position where they have to go to work mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic mm -hmm. without the proper protection, equipment, what have you. And they have no choice. And are they likely to get the virus? Yes, because they're in this hailstorm and they're forced to deal with it because it's, hey, you should have planned better. I mean, that's really what the, gover the government really, really, really says to us. And that's how they really view a lot of the stuff that's going on with us in our community. We're at fault. You know, you can't talk about what's hurting the black community regarding the pandemic without looking in depth at the systemic issues that have plagued yeah. our community from the jump. Like you can't talk about 
well, you know, COVID-19 is just ravishing the black and brown community. Yeah, well, why is the healthcare system the way that it is that we are always the most vulnerable populations there are? Like, just because my skin is black has no bearings on why this virus, this virus, I know my skin black. Let's just talk about it that way. Mm-hmm, yeah. This virus has no idea. <laughs> yeah. So why is it that we're all more susceptible to catching it? And you have to look at those systematic things that are in place, such as, you know, lack of resources, um, the bias that, it, that exists in healthcare towards black people. Um, you have to look at all these paradigms and say, hey, we cannot gain their trust, let alone can we reach their community without addressing the stuff that we've inflicted on them before COVID ever happened. Right. And I think that's the conversation that has been missing among advocates, politicians, and even some of our, you know, non-melanated healthcare professionals is that not understanding the systemic issues of racism and prejudice and biases mm-hmm. that often plague our communities. Even if we look at um, mortality rates among infants and, and you know, mothers giving birth, mm-hmm. all these types of things. When we cry out, we're often, you know, seen as dramatic and emotional or we're overreacting. And to your very strong point, not having access to the resource to afford healthcare. Like I work in affordable housing and mm-hmm. it's so amazing that Georgia Tech did a study that those families who were part of the program that I work with, who were able to get an affordable house, they had higher graduation rates and they also had lower um, health issues. And the mm-hmm. reason why is because they were not income cost burdened by their housing anymore. So mm-hmm. they could allocate some of those financial resources to make sure that their kids had, you know, better education or after school programs, or AC, you know, ACT, all those different kinds of prep testing and stuff like that, that typically you wouldn't be able to do. But on the flip side, to also use those financial resources to pay for maybe that better healthcare plan that their job offered, or even if it wasn't the greatest plan to be able to just afford the copay. Right. I have something. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because you could have the um, health care, but like I worked in a job where my copay at urgent care was sixty dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and for some families, sixty dollars is it's a like, lot. It's a lot. It's a make or break. It's a meal, it's gas for the next two weeks. It could be a plethora of things. So just understanding that when we talk about systematically, we're talking about a myriad of systems. We're not yes. just talking about, you know, the hospital in our neighborhood maybe isn't the best. That could be true, but mm-hmm. I'm also, I still don't want to go there because regardless <laughs> of whether it's the best or not, to your point, I don't want the bill. I don't want exactly. to come home and have the additional stress of how I'm going to pay this bill, how I'm going to do this, they're going to come take big mama house. Like all these different types of things. Like we go down these rabbit holes and these, you know, saying pigeonholes sometimes really trying to figure out what is best. And oftentimes our health comes last. Yes. We have to do everything else just to survive. Yes. Sometimes it's not as apparent that taking care of ourselves is the primary means of survival. Exactly. Exactly. And how, let me ask you this, like speaking of survival though, how, how has your mental been being in the, you know, the, all of it surrounded Mm -hmm. by seeing the cases, seeing what's going on. How has it been for you just seeing how people are taking precautions or not giving any cares Mm -hmm. about what's going on? So it can be frustrating. Uh, especially seeing the massive parties that are thrown in Atlanta every Come night. Come on, compound. With that the is school. crazy. <laughs> that was so absolutely crazy. Like but, Corona juice is what they really Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if I'm being honest, um, I try to use my global perspective 
when it comes to these type of issues, even if it relates to the black community, um, is that I understand, I have to first understand the culture. I have to understand the individuals and I have to understand the cultures within the cultures. So I know, you know, when I say culture of the black community, black folks have so many cultures within themselves that, I mean, everything is different and it would take, it would take ages, a lifetime to thoroughly explore every single culture that every single black person has. I mean, our belief systems are drastically different, but, you know, generally when we speak of the black community, we have these umbrella things that we all just relate to. Um, So when it comes to exploring people's cultures and perspectives and beliefs and attitudes towards things, I can't fault, I can't fault the people who don't believe that, you know, COVID is real or that we're actually in a pandemic or who just, who know and just don't care um, because that's their belief system. And as a leader in healthcare, I don't ever want to get to a place where I allow my beliefs and my morals to overtake the way that I view other people and how I treat uh, the patients. Yeah. So when it comes down to that, I may be frustrated. Yes. But I also understand that even while there may be a disconnect, if there's anything that I can work with, my job is to at the very least educate um, the people of, you know, this is what it is. This is what it's not. So how I've been able to take care of my mental health, honestly, and my therapist, he actually recommended this, uh, <laughs> last week during our session. He said, look, man, you always take care of other folks. You start taking care of you. He said, you spend your whole life running, chasing everyone, making sure that the world is taken care of everybody around you is taken care of it. Yet you've left yourself in the past. And I couldn't help but just be like, you know, damn, all right. Don't they, don't <laughs> okay. they do that to you, man? And he, he a Morehouse man, too, so, you know, he ain't, he ain't holding back nothing. <laughs> uh, so I was just like, you know what, bro, you, you might be right. Okay, all right. So now I'm at this place where I really say to myself, you know what, this is their issue. Uh, it's not my issue. I can only do what I can with what I have. And, you know, my grandma, she told me something some years ago when I was dealing with a episode of depression because just a lot of stuff was going on. She said, son, any problem that's too big for you is not your problem. It's God's problem. So give it to him. And that's something that's just always stuck with me. So now even with this pandemic, I look at it and say, you know what? I've done my part. I've educated people when they needed to be educated. If they don't want to listen to it, that's on them. I can't, you know, blow a blood vessel trying to get folks to understand my perspective, to understand the severity of what's happening. I have to do my part and educate and whatever they're willing to accept, fine. And if they want to go out, party and do all kinds of stuff, you know, unfortunately that's on them. The only downside to it is, they're likely going around people who actually prioritize their health and could mm-hmm. potentially get them sick. And that's where my concern lies more than anything. You know, if I knew that all these people, for example, at compound were going to be around each other 24 seven and that was it, they weren't going to bother anybody else. Then I'd be like, you know what, you know, have a great party. I, I really hope that y'all take a shot for me. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but because I know that there may be a bit of carelessness there that allows them to neglect the health of those around them. I have an issue with that because there are a lot of vulnerable people that we may not know um, their condition, but there are a lot of vulnerable people that we may come in contact with on a day-to-day basis that we could be exposing them to the very thing that could kill them. And to have a total disregard to that is what my problem is. So, you know, while I acknowledge all of that, the ways that I take care of myself are honestly reading, poetry, singing, um, oftentimes working out, but I haven't did too much working out lately, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, and 
really just talking to my family. FaceTime, I mean, FaceTime is a, a thing now. You know, I, I never really appreciated it until now. Until but now, now yeah. yeah, I'm on FaceTime <laughs> with my mom like every single day. Um, just being able to connect, to joke, to laugh all the pain away. Um, that's really the method to my madness. Um, I have some days that are better than others. You know, some days I get extremely down. I get extremely frustrated, extremely irritated. Um, and I allow myself to feel those emotions, but I also know that I cannot allow myself to dwell in those places and to make sure that, um, at some point or another, I I acknowledge what I'm going through. I acknowledge the situation and I tell myself, you know, you're bigger than this. You can handle it, do this. And if you can't handle it, seek help. And that's it. Um, so I, I have a, I have a lot of resources, a lot of people that I can talk to actually have a certified therapist and the whole nine. So I, I stay afloat that way. So let me first say that I love to see a brother who is doing the work. Okay, you can tell <laughs> when somebody has done the work. Listen, I mean, it makes it's, it's a world of a difference in just your perspective and how you um, sometimes internalize or don't internalize certain things yeah. anymore. And I think specifically with you being kind of in, you know, on the front line and on the front line, really, you know, it's super important that you're taking care of yourself. We're, we're going to get to some more of that a little bit later, but um, what would you say? You said education. What are some like tips, even if you got to fuss folk out that you would tell folk right now who say, I'm, I'm just ready to get back to normal. Like the mm-hmm. people who went to compound this past weekend. Right. <laughs> so I would say get comfortable in understanding that normal is not going to be the same. Um, no matter how bad we want it to be, it's not going to be the same. And we can't ignore it away. I think that's what a lot of us are actually doing. We're trying to ignore the fact that things are changing drastically. And what it points to, which is quite ironic, is that, you know, for the last year or so, our generation has been very vocal about mental health and how mental health uh, matters, you know, illness, whatever else. And even, you know, having a conversation between mental illness and mental health, which are two drastically different things, but oftentimes get coupled together. So, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point now where I would honestly say, you know, it's a tough one, to be honest. Yeah. I'll be honest. It's it's extremely tough. I would just say prioritize other people. You know, even if you don't believe that it's a real thing, just please Think of your neighbors, think of the people that you love, uh, both near and far, and people are dying. People are not able to attend funerals. People are not able to visit their loved ones in the hospital for their last days. Um, So many things are happening. Some people are just dropping dead at home, and I can get into why that is later, but there there are so many issues going on in the world. Right now, we need to find a reason and a way to agree on one thing. At the very least, can we just say life matters? You know, can we say that I want you to live just as much as I want to live? And even if I disregard my own life, my own health or whatever else to have a little bit of fun, at the very least, I need to be mature enough to acknowledge that, hey, you do value your life. You do value your health and you don't want to put that at risk. And if that if that means if my presence means that I'm putting your life at risk in any way, just acknowledge that and say, you know what, fine, I'll remove myself. If I'm going to have fun with people, I need to have fun with the people who have the same perspective as me, which means they can care less about getting this virus. They can care less whatever consequences come with that. But at the very least, don't, don't put other people's lives at risk because you have your own bias. Um, that, honestly, that's really the biggest thing. Like, if you're going to party, party. You're going to do it regardless if I say do it or don't. But 
just be conscious of the consequences that are posed as a result of either your your complete disregard or your acknowledgement of this pandemic and of how it's affecting the black community. You know, and that's so important. Like, I mean, and just in layman terms, people wear your mask. Of course. Wash your hands. I know you quarantined or in your house, some of y'all lot. Take you a shower. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like these are the basic things. Yeah, that I daily think, hygiene. Know. Daily hygiene is something that we should definitely, we should be doing anyways. Anyway, you know? but there's so many um, people who aren't. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, wash your hands. Don't touch your face if you know your hands are dirty. Uh, when you go out in public, at the very least, just wear your mask. Just wear your mask. 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes ain't going to hurt you. I wear mine for, for 12 hours straight. Wear your mask. You can do it. I promise you. If you feel like your ears hurt tied around your hair, if you feel like what, if you, whatever your excuse is to not protect yourself, find a reason to invalidate that excuse. I, I beg yeah. of you to do that. Um, a mask is a simple thing that you can do. I mean, it's between a mask or 5000 6000 and some people even got a million dollars, which is crazy to me. Hospital bill. I mean, do you want to be on a ventilator because you chose not to wash your hands and wear a mask? I mean, to me, that's absolutely bizarre. I can't even rationalize such a thought. Uh, but prioritize yourself. Prioritize other people. Care enough about yourself to prioritize your health. Um, I see so many people now. I mean, you go to a store and you see all these people. And it's like, part of me wonders, like, do they think that by not wearing a mask that somehow you get some acquired immunity from, pe- from being around people who are sick or something? I'm, people need to understand <laughs> COVID-19 ain't working that way. That's not, that's not it. COVID-19, the actual virus itself that is floating around is not a vaccine. It doesn't work that way. If you, ki- if you get it, you got it. And how your body responds to it or how it responds to your body, rather, is not up to you at all. You can either be asymptomatic or you can be near death. Because you don't have control of that, it would make sense to just avoid all of that together and social distance, stay inside when, whenever you can, be smart about who you go around, why you're going around people, where you go, the whole nine. Yeah. You know, just be, just be diligent and prioritizing yourself and others. That's so important, man. So, like, as we wrap up, what are some, beyond Big Rona, what are just some practical ways um, everyday type things that people could do to ensure that they're living their best life and maximizing their health. Do things that you love to do um, within the guidelines, you know, do things. If you like to meditate, do that. Find ways to be creative. If you want to do art, do that. Find ways to be innovative with whatever it is, you know, learn a new hobby, learn a new trade. Um, Do, I mean, zoom is booming now. Find reasons to just jump on Zoom and do whatever fun activities you can with other folks. You can do arts and crafts activities online. You can have rap ciphers online, whatever, whatever it is that floats your boat. Do these things that really bring, bring you peace of mind and joy. Stay off of social media as much as you can. If you, if you don't have to be on social media um, or if what you're doing, and let me clarify, social media is a great place to be, be at under the right context. If you can get to a place where if you, or rather, if you get to a place where you're on social media 24-7 and all you see is black bodies being killed and you see a lot of arguing between individuals, whatever else, that's a toxic place. It's a toxic environment. Log off. Decompress. Go to Netflix, watch your favorite show. Go to Hulu, whatever the case is. Watch your favorite show, series, movie, 
what have you, but do the things that bring you peace and joy. Don't go searching for trouble. You know, if there's something that makes you feel uncomfortable, or if there's someone that makes you feel uncomfortable, prioritize yourself and say, you know what, I, I have to say no. I can't deal with you today. Mom, I'm sorry. I understand there's a lot going on at home. I cannot have this conversation right now because my mental health will not allow me to put any more emotional coins into this slot. Mm-hmm. I need you to understand that, to respect that. Surround yourself by people who appreciate you, who respect you, who love you, and give yourself positive affirmations every single day. You know, ain't nothing wrong with bragging on yourself. Do that. Do whatever you need to do to fulfill not just your own wants and desires, but your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, whatever you have to do to decompress and to to refill, do that. That's what's up, man. So I really want to appreciate you, number one, for being on the podcast, for joining me in the virtual living room and having this um, really important, informative conversation. I think a lot of us are um, miseducated, not educated, a whole bunch of things around just health in general. So thank you for that. Um, But could you tell the people how they can follow you on socials um, when you're on there? Uh, (laughs) Anything you got going on? Just, I mean, how can they reach out to you? Honestly, I'm on there quite often nowadays because I ain't got nothing to do with hanging in the hospital. <laughs> um, but my my IG is underscore cross C R O S S underscore D. Um, you can find me there. I don't pretty much. I've never made a Facebook, so I ain't got that. You can't follow me there. Uh, LinkedIn, just search Devon Cross if you want to connect on a professional basis. Um, that I mean, it's pretty much all I have on that. Uh, I do want to say one last thing though. Yeah, Regarding COVID nineteen specifically, is that there's a lot of misinformation out there and I've done ample amounts of research, research on my patients and their cases. Um, I know early on the idea was that, you know, people were saying that COVID-19 is nothing worse than the flu or the common cold. That was a myth. I think a lot of that was just healthcare bias and trying to push the flu vaccine, which they've been trying to push on folks for the past 10 years since the swine flu came out. I think we have to get to a place where we really are transparent as healthcare leaders with the with the community and acknowledge what we either don't know, it's fine to say you don't know, um, or to at the very least be 100% transparent and say, you know what, this is what we're dealing with. And one way that I've been able to keep my, not just myself safe, but also my family safe, especially my grandparents from going to church gatherings because they love it, um, is to simply say, you know, one... COVID-19 is much less a respiratory virus, and it's really what medicine may call a coagulopathy disorder. So it causes blood clots, and it does so by, you know, the ACE2 receptors that it's highly specific to, which is how COVID-19 infects your body and enters your cells. Well, these same receptors are found on endothelial tissue. Endothelial tissue lines your blood vessels. It lines multiple organs throughout your body, the whole nine. So when you see people or hear stories of people going, you know, to the hospital and for whatever reason have a clean bill of health, but all of a sudden have to go on dialysis. Well, that's why, because H2 receptors are in the kidneys, they're in the lungs, uh, the liver, the brain, heart. So some people have these sudden strokes. That's why. Some people have these random heart attacks and just die. That's why. Um, The lungs are highly vascular, which means it's full of endothelial tissues, which makes it easy for the lungs to be so susceptible to the virus and have such all the respiratory complications that we see. Yes. But 
COVID-19 is an inflammatory disease. It does all kind of damage to the endothelial tissue itself. The endothelial tissue controls inflammation, um, controls pre the prevention of blood clots, so it regulates your blood. It does so many different things. When COVID-19 enters the body, apparently it is causing all this dysfunction, which means that you have uncontrolled regulation of inflama inflammation and your blood. And you also sustain so much endothelial damage that a lot of people are not really dying of respiratory compromise. They're dying from these blood clots and these blood vessel issues that lead to multiple organ failure, mm -hmm. including, but not limited to, respiratory compromise, cardiac arrest, stroke, uh, kidney failure, the whole nine. So when people think of COVID-19, I want you to understand this disease hits your entire body and it manifests itself in different ways on every single person. So while your neighbor may be asymptomatic or somebody else may just have a bad headache, there's somebody else who is dying because they, their kidneys are failing. They have blood clots that they're throwing all around. They're having strokes at 30, at 20 years old. They're having long-term and short-term memory loss now. They have this weird brain fog. All of these things, because COVID-19 infects so many body systems, we're getting to a point where we're seeing the true manifestations of this virus if you contract it. And the lungs are just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So I think one thing that we have to understand is the severity of it. Um, and because it shows itself in so many different ways, it's extremely scary. Like some people are waiting for a vaccine. Well, be safe while you wait, because that may not come out no time soon. Um, some people just completely disregard it. Just know what you're dealing with. If you're disregarding the, the recommendations of just isolating yourself, staying away from people, wearing a mask, not washing your hands, understand what you're potentially up against. You know, it wasn't until last week that I found out my cousin had it. She was the first person in my family I found out I had it. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of black folks are like, I ain't seen nobody really had this, this, this virus that they're talking about. I don't think it's real. Yeah, well, we can't say that. We, right. we have to be mindful of, even though we don't know anybody personally, I can guarantee you, you ask around two or three people, somebody's going to give you an answer as to who got it. I know five. Exactly. Who, who've had it personally. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a real thing. And I just yeah. want us as Black people to really prioritize our health, prioritize the people around us, our loved ones, whatever the case may be. And if we don't understand the severity of something, simply ask. Don't be afraid to ask the questions needed for you to be informed, for you to be included in the conversation so that you can have an idea of what you're really dealing with. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. That's what's, and while we're extending the conversation, um, let's just, <laughs> let's just um, like, would you recommend people just go, like, just go get tested? I mean, a lot of tests are free. Mm -hmm. um, so was, is that something that you would recommend people just to go do just out of, you, kind of like preventative maintenance? Honestly, if you have the resources to do it um, and it's free, if you feel that you're sick or you feel that you've been exposed, by all means, go do it. I mean, I get it. A lot of people have so much anxiety just wondering, like, oh, I, had, I woke up, my, my throat was sore. I, maybe I got COVID. Should I go get checked? I had a friend that uh, texted me that this morning. He was like, yo, I'm feeling kind of sick. I don't know what's going on. I felt better as I, after I got up, but do you think I should go get tested? And I let her know, like, yeah, it may not be anything, but at the same time, if you have the resources to go do it, meaning if you have the money just to get in the car, or if you have yeah. a car to drive up to a free testing site, if you want to do it, by all means, I would advocate doing it. At the very least, you know your status. And I want to also say to that last point, 
don't just prioritize COVID. Prioritize your health in all kind of yeah. ways. Yeah. Get tested for your STDs, STIs, everything else. Like continue to get tested, continue to get your physical, know your status, not just with COVID-19, but with everything. Make sure that you prioritize that. I know a lot of healthcare professionals and um, hospitals and agencies are neglecting every single thing right now because of COVID-19. But trust me, if you want to get a full, look, I just got a full physical done last week by my primary care provider. You know, you got to jump through hoops just to go into the office. But when you finally get in, I got my full panel. I got a complete metabolic panel. I got all of my, my blood information. Um, I got my STI, STD results. We're all clear. <laughs> you know, we were able to prioritize all yeah. these um, still in the midst of COVID. So don't, don't, don't get so blinded by COVID-19 that we neglect other aspects of our health, including our mental health. Absolutely. Man, again, thank you. We're going to wrap up this conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, he told you how to follow him, how to get in contact. If you have any questions, I'm sure he'll be um, willing and open to answer them. Um, just course. hit him up. So we're going to go into our, our next segment of the show. We talk about some black man self-care. We talk about <laughs> it a little bit here. We're going to do it officially in a moment with uh, I Am My Brother's Keeper. Woosa! 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 All right. So thank you again, brother, for joining us. And we're going to talk about some black man self-care care on this segment we like to call uh, I Am My Brother's Keeper. Um, and I got a brother here. I, I think I've, I've been having a lot of our black women on, which is great. Um, I love I've, been, I've been having to um, readjust the title of the segment a little bit to, to make it um, gender equitable. Let me say it that way. We'll take um, it. But, <laughs> but this week, I got a brother in the living room. We're going to talk about some black man self-care. So, man, tell us what are you doing this weekend for self-care all right so uh devon cross here uh what i'm doing for self-care is honestly a lot of stuff it varies from day to day sometimes i eat ice cream sometimes i just have a sweet tooth and that's it <laughs> uh, other times um i'll write poetry i'll sing um do some random dance be real goofy or whatever else you know stuff that i can't do around the folk because i'm too too worried about it <laughs> <laughs> Watch my favorite movie. I don't probably watch Pursuit of Happiness a billion times, and now I'm watching Hitch. It could just be I love Will Smith. I don't know. Um, but also, I am now in therapy. Um, I realized the need to address a lot of stuff, not just you know during this pandemic, but yeah. address things that maybe I haven't dealt with since childhood or whatever else. Like one, nobody likes trauma. I mean, well, some people like trauma. Let me correct that. Nobody likes to deal with folks that like trauma. And <laughs> <laughs> I think something that we really have to, you know prioritize is our, our mental health and our mental well-being and sometimes that means being open and transparent and candid and saying you know what I'm struggling I'm not okay I have this going on that going on what have you and I really want to talk through it and there there's beauty and also saying you know what I had a great day and I want to tell you how great my day was um, you know therapy is not just for problems and chaos yeah. therapy is also to celebrate your victories and your small wins and for me you know I went to therapy I, I used to go to therapy um, at Morehouse and I, it was a black woman. She spelled, I don't want to say she was a Spelmanite um, or Spelman woman because they'll come for me if I, if I get right. Come at you hard for that one. <laughs> so she was a Spelman woman and she told me um, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good advice, but at the end of the day, that connection just wasn't there. And when I went to Emory, um, I saw the therapist and she was a white woman and the connection, I mean, was still not there. And I, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could saw my face when he said he went to a white woman. But I mean, that's all they had at Emory at the time. You know? <laughs> were at Emory. Yeah. That's it. You know, the student insurance only affords you certain privileges, I guess. Um, but then, you know, I had a real heart-to-heart conversation with myself. And I said, you know what? I don't know what it is that's missing. Um, and the more I reflected on it, the more I realized what it really was. I needed a black man, somebody that could see me for who I am, that understood my my course through life, you know, outside of a clinical setting, someone who genuinely understood what things could have transpired for me to be there in the first place. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, um, therapists, they look at you and they see what is in front of them, you know, the, the symptoms, the issues or whatever, after you finally hit the door. Whereas I needed somebody who understood what I was going, going through out in the world first and what things could possibly impact me in a way that would be detrimental enough for me, a black man, to be vulnerable and say, you know what, I need help. I can't do this anymore. This is what I want. Or to say, hey, I had the best experience ever. I can't wait to tell you about this. And, you know, ironically enough, I found a Morehouse man. Uh, His name is John Diggs. He's in Decatur. Look him up. He might be booked now, but... But um, the brother is amazing at what he does. Um, very welcoming environment. I actually feel seen, heard, felt, all that. And that has paid dividends for me during this time. So amazing. And it's so interesting. I'm going to talk about what I'm doing for self-care. Um, Go ahead. But when I was on my journey to find a therapist, I specifically wanted a Black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's just because I just think black women are the original superheroes. Oh yeah. Um, and I needed to be cultivated and affirmed in that way. And I, and part of the reason is one of my growing up, my best friend was a woman mm-hmm. and me and my mom have this beyond the month. Cause I am a mama's boy. I'm not going to, I'm Same. not, not, not going <laughs> to even hold you and try to act like I'm not, but we also have this relationship that has shifted in adulthood. Yeah. That's become like this respect factor. And she's able to. I don't want to say parent me, but almost mentor me mm-hmm. in a way that's different. She steps out of motherhood in mm-hmm. moments and becomes the counselor, um, this person of almost divinity for me that I'm able mm-hmm. to look to and not trying to replace that, but having that representation in my life yes. was really important when I was seeking out a therapist. So to that point, so to that point and to Devon's point, like find somebody who meets you. Um, who can meet you where you are, can understand mm-hmm. how you're traversing through life. Um, and sometimes that means that we have to get our skin folk, like for real, for real. That's because it. I've heard horror stories about people who tried to talk about what's going on in the global pandemic of racism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their therapists have kind of, kind of played it to the side. and was like, you know, I don't think that that's what it is. First of all, you're wrong for, 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 <laughs> for that vantage point at all. Don't tell me what my experience is. But at the same time, for somebody who can really understand what you're going through to help you process it as well. So yeah. that, was a, that, was, that was a pause for the cause um, because I am a huge <laughs> advocate for everybody going to see, um, going to therapy. Because one of the reasons I'm in therapy too is to deal with Negroes who don't go to therapy. <laughs> like that's a reason within itself. Look, the awesome. irony. Listen, so if everybody go, we'll all be okay. No, that's not true. But still, go, get you some help. Um, oh, but I no. want to say, I yeah, want to yeah. interject one time. So one thing that I, I did want to point to, a lot of people don't, a lot of black folks don't go to therapy because they ain't trying to be prescribed medication. Go to a behavioral therapist, yes. not a clinical therapist, because <laughs> those are drastically different. Behavioral, is they're going to talk to the person. Clinical, they're going to talk to the symptoms. All right. Back to you, bro. Yeah. Now, if you need that medication, don't, yeah, if you need don't, it, don't take be afraid it. of it too, you know? That's <laughs> um, it. But no, but this weekend, man, I'm going to do, I'm probably going to wrap myself in some movies. 
um, and just some chill time. Um, mm-hmm. One of the ones that I get lost in is Dream Girls. When it first came okay. out, I saw it like three times. I know every song. I know every line. I so need I'm to hit a note. Say, I need to hear a note. Where we at? No. So every- <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, but just know that I will be at the top of my lungs in this house and probably try <laughs> to find the color purple. Now, that is my all-time favorite film. I actually saw that on uh, Hulu today. I didn't watch I it, but I saw it. Can watch, it. I can watch the color purple every day, all day. It is just a story of redemption <laughs> that just brings me such great joy. And I've, I've read the book like three or four times. I've seen the Broadway play. Oh, you're invested. Oh, I am invested. Okay, you know, we'll I take that. Stand. <laughs> um, but no, this weekend, I'm just going to get wrapped up in that and just find joy in, this, in the simplicity of just watching television and enjoying myself. Because even in quarantine, I find myself being hyper-productive producing mm-hmm. the podcast um working out we got to get you back in the gym you got to get um, me back in there well i don't know I, i'm a little too prepared well, not theoretical <laughs> like home workout we talked we talked about zoom we're gonna set up a zoom after this to get you Oof. on some uh but no man we like I, I but i've been because i run in a fitness accountability group yeah so all of those different type of things and being super productive in that and finding like applying for jobs because I got laid off due to COVID. So that's a job within itself. Yes. So I've been like hyperproductive. And sometimes because I'm laid off, I think I talked about this on the pod before, uh, feeling the guilt of resting because I'm not working. Mm. Um, so I've been like producing and just like doing that. stuff. I swear that's a curse of America. You know, think that you have to be working you, and be you doing have something to be positive. Working to be doing something, right? Um, and then sometimes I'm okay. Yeah. But this weekend, I'm going to intentionally get wrapped up in rest and um, just getting lost in film and media. And all. all right, so I'm holding you accountable to that. No, hit me up. And I will. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But this has been dope, man. Thank you again for sitting on the couch and joining us in the virtual living room. We're going to go to the final segment where I'm going to rant and rave a little bit called A Greater Conversation. Let me talk. Let me talk. All right, y'all, we are at the point of the podcast where we have a conversation, a greater conversation. (laughs) And this week, I'm not going to even make it real long. So let me just get into it. Let me stop doing all these dramatic pauses. Governor Brian Kemp, he has been doing a piss poor job of administering what is supposed to be governance over the state of Georgia. He opened up Georgia's one of the first states to open up, and unnecessarily so. He did it with non-essential businesses, not requiring people to wear masks, all these kind of things, very lenient measures in terms of safety during this pandemic. However, um, the mayor of the city of Atlanta, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, has been very adamant about the need to further protect its citizens, um, to put in or implement rather measures that will make sure that everyone is safe and that if we're opening up, we're opening up in a way that does not further spread Corona, COVID-19, and does not further affect not only those who are most vulnerable, our senior citizens, our children, you know, people who have um, immune disorders and, you know, all that different kind of stuff, but also just not further the spread amongst people in general. We all know that while Atlanta itself is a city, it serves as the bedrock for a greater metropolis, 
Um, the metro area is huge. Like I live in Cobb County, which is a suburb of Atlanta. But when I was working, I would drive into Midtown every single day. So I spent a majority of my day in Midtown. So if I was going to lunch or getting a cup of coffee or running an errand, it typically happened somewhere in the city of Atlanta before I made it all the way to my house, right? So having those measures in place, although technically I'm not a citizen of the city of Atlanta, I don't live in the city proper, it still would have affected me in some regard if I was still going to work because, right, I would have to be within the city and respect the laws and the ordinances that was established by that administration. Governor Kemp has went so far as to try to sue Mayor Bottoms because she is pretty much disregarding his leniency toward some of this, um, the, the safety measures for this pandemic. And she's just like, no, not here for it at all. People need to wear masks, this, this, and the third. So she's trying to mandate it. So he's pretty much trying to, you know, sling his stuff on the table and be like, my governor's rule trumps everything that you can do. It outrides, it outweighs, you know, your your laws, your mandates, this, this, and the third, right? And while that is true, I also believe that it is incumbent upon local leaders to oftentimes establish what is best for the citizens within that specific area. Not to say that there should not be any governance from state officials and government. However, Governor Kemp has an entire state to worry about. And sometimes his or a governor's perspective around a specific city or a specific area is not as well versed or in tune as maybe that mayor or that city council or that board of commissioners is, right? So what does all of this matter and why are we ranting and raving about this? Well, because Governor Kemp has decided to sue Keisha um, because she's like is adamant and bullish about people being safe and requiring and mandating that people are wearing masks. Like her family has all been exposed to COVID-19. She tested positive for COVID-19. I think others in her family has as well. So she's been, and she's been doing what she's supposed to have been doing for us as far as what we know, right? She didn't have, she was asymptomatic, but when she got tested, she tested positive. And that was one of the reasons why she is also so adamant about people wearing masks because there could be people out here every day in grocery stores, in Home Depot, in Target, or wherever they're going, who could be asymptomatic, do not know that they have anything. And because they don't have any symptoms, are not getting tested, but are out here maskless and spreading it. Like wearing a mask, if everyone wore a mask, right, it would greatly like drop the numbers of people who are affected and people who are contracting this disease. Other countries have proved it. I don't know why we're so dumb to where we're up here fighting for the right to not wear a mask. At what point did the economy and at what point did any of this other foolishness get so much more important that it is trumped or outweighed the humanity of us, right? Why? How has it become so important that we've disregarded human life? Even in terms of sending our children back to school, if a board of educational directors, right, board of directors or um, school board members, rather, can get together via Zoom because they think it is too unsafe to meet in person, those same 
school board members can now say, oh, but we're going to send all of our children to school. What If it's too dangerous for you, then how on earth is it safe at all for our children? Children are disgusting. They cough with their little mouths open. They touch anything. They put anything in their mouths. That's a whole nother conversation. But what I am saying is though this. This lawsuit is so stupid. It is a stroke of his ego, and his ego has been bruised. Why? Because Keisha is the celebrity. Because the people in Atlanta listen to her, and they are disregarding him. While he has his things in place, there are a lot of people within the city business owners who are listening to the mayor because of their respect and their regard for who she is and the administration that she runs, right? So he is even asking that she not be able to do press conference. Like, this is all in the lawsuit that she's not able to do. Pretty much, he wants her to shut up and behave. And the reason why I know that this is racist and the reason why that I know this is also misogynistic, because there are other city leaders, Savannah, Augusta, Decatur, city mayors, right, who have also mandated that masks are required in their cities, but Keisha Lance Bottoms is the only one who is being sued. What is the only difference here between them? That she's black, there are other black mayors on that list I just called out, but she's also a woman. So how dare he be undermined by a black person, oh, let alone a black woman? He cannot take the dagger to his ego. But what I want to let you know is that it's not about ego at this point. It is about lives. And what you are showing, what you showed when you cheated to win this election from Stacey Abrams, is that you are the idiot and the stupid person that we all thought that you were. And it is unnecessary that you are willing to die on this hill, the same hill that Terry Crews is dying on, the same hill that your um, lovely executive leader, um, President Donald Trump, is dying on, that you don't think this is real, that you're not taking this serious enough to know that the cases in Georgia are increasing. People are really dying. People are really sick out here. And the fact that you are so caught up in playing politics and being the biggest and the baddest, that you're willing to risk it all just so that you can be the big, bad person in charge. Man, get out of here. If that ain't white privilege at its finest, I don't know what it is. Leave that woman alone. And if you're going to keep that energy, keep that same energy for every other mayor who is disregarding your mandates. Why are you pointing out Keisha? So only a few things that I can point out. And it's just because she's black and it's because she's a woman. And you cannot fathom being less popular or less powerful than a black woman. But let me let you know that no one is going willing to risk their lives just to succumb, right, to what you have suggested. I hope that when it is time for you to get reelected, that you are voted out of there with a vengeance. Okay, I really do. Because it makes absolutely no sense of how you've handled this matter. You handling this matter has shown that you are incompetent and you are not um, equipped to do the job. My nine-year-old son probably could do a better job of managing this pandemic than you have proven in this moment. Okay? So I just wanted to put that out there, that it does not make sense. And this is to any other ridiculous white man who wants to not adhere <laughs> or is threatened, that's the word that I want to use, that is threatened by the power and the grace and the beauty of a black woman. I told y'all last week that black women were our first superheroes and we have to respect them and we have to honor them and we have to do a better job. We talked about it in the beginning of this freaking podcast. We talk about Meg. We have to do a better job of protecting them. And part of that is standing up to this kind of misogynistic and sexist behavior that says that I will you know, endanger other people just so I can see this woman lose. Matter of fact, I'm going to sue her 
the only one that I'm going to sue. And I'm going to make sure that in that lawsuit that she has to shut up and do what I say. No, we are far beyond those times and you do not have the right. And this is to any, like I said, it's to any other white man who feels like they can silence that of a black woman just because you feel threatened or intimidated because you don't have the balls to really do what is supposed to be done. Get over yourself. If you're not educated enough, that's your fault. If you are not well-versed enough for what's going on, that's your issue. If you don't have the experience, that's your fault. You decided to run this race. You decided to get in this thing the way you got in it. And now you have to deal with the consequences of actually being the governor and actually administering in a way that will benefit all people, not just your cronies and not just the people who look like you, but every single person. Black and brown people are proportionally um, more effective. We talked about it in the episode today, more effective by this disease because of the lack of resources, because of the lack of access to health care and health insurance and, and, and money and income that would allow them to be tested and to, and to actually have a job that would make them work from home. A lot of black and brown people are working quote-unquote essential jobs because these are the jobs that they have based on a litany of systemic issues that have affected these communities for centuries on end. And here you are being so ignorant to say that masks aren't even mandated. A very simple principle about wearing a freaking mask in public so that others will have a lower chance of contracting a disease that has no cure, that has no vaccine, and is showing no, um, like, it, at no point it is showing that it's going to slow down. But no, masks aren't, aren't important. Get the heck up out of here and go on somewhere else with that because you can miss me with it. And that concludes another episode of the Jigsaw. <laughs> Man, I was, I'm infuriated by it because there are so many like underlying issues in what he's trying to do. And it's just absolutely asinine at best. So anyway, another episode of the Jigsaw. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Shout out to um, Devon Cross for being our guest again today. Absolutely amazing job, bro. Thank you for joining me in the living room. We're definitely going to have you back. Um, by way of announcements, I do want to let you all know that the Sunday school sessions are starting soon. When I have a specific date on the first one, I will let you know. Um, I do want to let you know that my workout class is happening this Saturday. It happens every single Saturday via Zoom. If you want to sign up, go to IamJoshRogers.com. Click on the JWork, W-O-R-K link, and you can get information about the class and the fitness community that I lead. And you can also go to that same website and buy merch. I got merch, y'all. I got t-shirts. My wife has a t-shirt line that's on there. You click on Asher Store. You can see that. It's a... Um, a line that empowers women, um, mothers particularly. So go on there, check those out. Again, email us questions, concerns, your blessed sub report, shout outs, all that different kind of stuff. You can send the email to the jigsaw podcast at gmail.com and we will respond accordingly. Follow me on socials at I am Josh Rogers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And um, follow the podcast on socials at the Jigsaw Podcast and shout us out, engage with us. Make sure that you're rating, you're subscribing, you're sharing it. Send it to a friend, send it to a coworker, send it to a cousin, send it to your baby mama, send it to whoever, right? <laughs> and let's get the word out there so that we can all navigate this thing together. But that is all. I love y'all, love y'all, love y'all, love y'all so much. And as we continue to navigate the ghetto that is 2020, now we'll call it ghetto because it has been ghetto. <laughs> um, don't let life stress you out. Do what you can while you can. But whatever you do, don't you dare get caught with your work undone. I love y'all, love y'all. See y'all next week. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>